Good evening. Tonight's message is called Exhortation, Warning, and Comfort. Tonight we'll continue our study in the book of 1 Thessalonians. There's so much packed into this last chapter, which Paul has told us by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. He's told us about the great day of the Lord, and he's also told us that we are children of light. In verse 8, he tells us to put on the breastplate of faith and love, the breastplate being Christ, who protects our hearts, and the love being the love of God, which is shed abroad in our hearts. Then we are told to put on for a helmet the hope of salvation, which again is Christ, keeping our hearts and our minds centered on Christ and him alone, just as Paul told the Colossians to set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth, and those things above being Christ Jesus, our Lord. Then we saw Paul in verse 11 tell the brethren at Thessalonica that they should comfort one another about the second coming of Christ, and so should we as believers in Christ. We should comfort one another with the wonderful words that Christ is coming again. The fact that Christ is coming again and that if we're alive at his coming, we'll be caught up in the air and meet him in the air. And and if we've died, we'll already be present with the Lord, but our bodies will be raised again and we'll receive our glorified bodies. Then we saw the truth in verse 9 that God's people are not appointed to wrath but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now, when did God do that? When did God not appoint us to wrath? Well, he did that in eternity, beloved, when he chose us in Christ. We were not appointed to wrath, but we were chosen to obtain salvation in and through and by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, which is what Paul writes by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. Tonight, let's read verses 8 to 15 to get the context of the verses which we will be reading. We'll see these precious truths, which I just mentioned, brought forth in the Holy Scriptures. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 8 to 11 first. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. Then look at this wonderful verse in verse 9 and in verse 10 also, these two wonderful verses. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. In verse 11, what an exhortation. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. What comfort we can bring to each other when we remind each other that we're not appointed to wrath, but that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to obtain salvation by and in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And then look at verse 10, who died for us. He died for his sheep. When did he do that? On Calvary's cross. He was nailed to that cross for my sins. And if you're a believer, you can say he was nailed to that cross for my sins as well. He bled and died as our great substitute on that cross. And he did that for every one of his sheep, everyone who God appointed to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. That's wonderful news. God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. And he did that in eternity. And then Christ died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. We're his forever. We're his by creation. We're his by regeneration. We're his by redemption. We're his forever. And whether we wake or sleep, we're his, which means we're his all the time. And we'll be his all through eternity. His born again, blood washed people. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. Comfort your brothers and sisters in Christ with these wonderful truths. Then from the next few verses until the end of the book, we see Paul giving exhortations to the brethren at Thessalonica. Look at verses 12 to 15. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, 
and to esteem them very highly for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Now we looked at those two verses last week and we see that we are to know them which labor over us, get to know them personally and those who admonish you and God's people are to esteem them very highly. Why? For their work's sake, because they preach the gospel. That's all. And we're all a bunch of sinners. Again, the ground of the foot of the cross is level. I'll be saying that all the time now, because it's true. And God's people are to esteem the pastors which God sent them for their work's sake, and to esteem them highly in love. Now the verses which we'll look at tonight. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men, See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. So this letter we know from our studies in the past is written to the born-again, blood-washed believers at Thessalonica. And this letter is sent to the church of the living God at Thessalonica. And we saw last week, it addresses both the congregation and the ministers, pastors in the body. And we will see that the scriptures here deal particularly with those of the household of faith. But some of the truths here may also be applied to the general populace. Generally, when such exhortations are given, we must first consider them in light of believers because the epistles are addressed to churches. However, since the world, however, since the believer is in the world, even though he is not of the world, some exhortations can reasonably apply to those who are of the world, especially as they are to exercise kindness mercy and things that attend freedom and always remember this beloved god the church is not a taker the church is the giver it's a giver and we see in verse 14 that paul first exhorts our brethren at thessalonica concerning those that are unruly in the assembly in the original language the greeks used this words to describe someone who didn't show up for work but it's generally applied to someone who's out of order disorderly bent to causing discord we see in verse 14 that believers are our brethren only those who receive the spirit of christ will heed these warnings that are set forth in the scriptures and will do it for the glory of the one who loved us and gave himself for us we see in verse 14 that we are to warn the unruly within the body the unruly are those who are insubordinate those who are busybodies those who are disorderly within the body and we see here that a serious warning is bought before us by god the holy spirit we see this warning in these verses that we are to be at peace among ourselves. We are not to conduct ourselves in an unruly manner. Let's read verse 14 again. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. Now the scriptures declare that one of the sins which the Lord hates is those who cause division among the brethren. Let's read Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 19. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven, are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. Now sowing discord is usually accomplished in a secret manner, calmly results in suspicion of a particular party. The book of James warns us about our tongue and how it's untamable. It's like flaming fire and it can do horrible damage. Beloved of God, let us be guarded because words come easy in an atmosphere of gossip and backbiting. And we must all be aware that what may seem a simple opinion stated may start a fire of doubt and suspicion. A good rule of thumb 
is the scripture that teaches us that we are not to hear an accusation against a brother or sister, except in the face of two or three witnesses. Another common use of this word, unruly, describes one who minds other people's business. Such people feel they have the answers when no question has been asked of them. They hold their opinion in such high esteem that they have an irrepressible need to express it, usually in an unwanted and unasked-for manner. Such unsolicited advice usually comes in a hurtful manner and may cause division. I remember someone who I knew they would be standing around while you're having a conversation with someone else and they'd ask, what's that? When you were talking to someone else, just so they could interject themselves into the conversation and then give their opinion. Now, such unsolicited and unasked for advice is usually aimed at the oppressed or the mourning. And then they subtly accuse them of being weak in the faith, claiming that they're a weaker brother or sister, even going so far that to say that, well, you don't have enough faith, or being so forward as to say that a believer should not mourn. That's just not right at all. That's nothing but a toxic person. And this toxic person is not to be heeded. No, we see that such people are to be warned that their behavior is the real problem. Even though they will not receive this rebuke, they usually try to turn it around upon either the one correcting them or blame anyone but themselves. And I've seen this happen right before my eyes. The best way to deal with this type of toxic person is to refuse to listen to them. Beloved of God, let us guard one another's reputation. Let us guard our brothers' and sisters' reputation. I have learned that love covers a multitude of sin, and I'm still learning that. It's very easy for us to strike out in anger. It's very easy for us to say things when we've been hurt. It's very easy for us to say things when we've been offended. But I have learned the truth of the Scripture, which says love covers a multitude of sin. Ecclesiastes says this, Be not righteous over much, neither make thyself over wise. Why shouldest thou destroy thyself? Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 16. And then in verses 21 and 22, it says, Also take no heed unto all words that are spoken, lest thou hear thy servant curse thee. For oftentimes also thine own heart knoweth that thou thyself hast cursed others. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 21 to 22. So we see that there were some in the church who were unruly. And this is true today as well. Brother Tim James brings forth that the rest of the verse brings comfort forth for those who may have been victims of those who were unruly. And let us remember that this exhortation is inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. Brother Tim James brings forth that it is not a leap to understand that the exhortation to warn them was that were unruly was not a generic warning, but addressing a present problem in the church. And we see that the following exhortation of warning is to comfort the feeble. Comfort the feeble-minded. Let's look at verse 14 again. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, them that are disorderly. Comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. Paul is not talking about those with uh, mental health issues or those that might be of special needs. The word feeble-minded here is a combination of two words, faint or little. Faint or wounded or little. In heart. Rather than to accuse such as not having enough faith, or even to call their faith into question, the believer is to comfort them in Christ. We're to comfort our brothers and sisters. 
We know that true comfort only comes from a constant hearing of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, a constant hearing of salvation complete in Christ and through Christ, and the salvation that is only in Christ. And the gospel of God's free and sovereign grace in Christ reminds the child of God of the unchanging love and grace of God towards his people. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is the only thing that strengthens and consoles the faint, broken heart. We are also to be available, be there for them. As we see, the exhortation is to support the weak. And this means the weak. The weak here are the same as the feeble. But that term addresses the result of the faint and oppressed heart. The believer is to support our brethren, support the weak. The unruly will try to take advantage of the weak. They will exploit their weakness to exalt their own bloated opinion of themselves, or they will exploit the weak to gain a point of leverage against them even. But the born-again, blood-washed believer we see is to support the weak. You know where the scripture declares we're to bear one another's burdens. Take the burden of the weak. Romans chapter 15 verse 1 says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Galatians chapter 6 verses 1 to 3, the scripture declares, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Don't forget, you're just as susceptible to fall to any sin as your brother and sister are. And in Galatians 6, 2, it says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he's nothing, well, he deceiveth himself. Isn't that true, eh? If you think you're something when you're nothing, then you're just deceiving yourselves. And beloved, we are nothing without Christ. When we start to think we're something when we're nothing, we're in trouble. And our text in verse 14 tells us that we are to comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, those who are brokenhearted, those who have had their spirit broken by afflictions and sufferings through painful trials. We are to comfort them. We are to console them. We are to encourage them. We are to assure them that Jesus Christ is working all things after the counsel of his own will, and that all things work together for good, for our good, and for God's glory. There was a time recently when I needed to be comforted, and the brethren here at the church were wonderful. They comforted me very much. And they just kept telling me, the Lord's in control. And I fleshed that out. I fleshed out what I preach, trusting and resting in Christ and Christ alone. And it's glorious as we learn each and every day just to trust the Lord more and more. And our text also tells us that we're to be patient toward all men. We are exhorted to do this. Look at verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. Now men there is italicized, it's not in the original Greek, so be patient toward all. Well, think of this, all includes the unruly as well as those who are not troublemakers. And the men and women of this world, as well as our brothers and sisters in Christ, let us always remember that love covers a multitude of sins. It causes us to overlook one another's faults. Our Lord was patient and long-suffering with us, wasn't he? When we were running from him, we had nothing but hatred in our hearts towards God. He was patient and he was long-suffering with us. And that's how we're to conduct ourselves towards those who are still dead in trespasses and sins and especially towards those of the household of faith. Our Lord Jesus Christ 
think of this too, is still patient and long-suffering with us. I was mentioning today to my dear bride just how patient and long-suffering the Lord is with us because we're unruly. We're insubordinate sometimes to Him, and we sin against Him every day, and yet He remembers we're but dust. His people are washed in the precious blood of Christ, and we need to be reminded every day that absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? Because God's gracious with us. Also, His grace makes us gracious, doesn't it? Because God is patient and long-suffering with us, we're patient and long-suffering with others. That's just the way grace works, isn't it? And stand in doubt of those who manifest a continual ungracious and unloving spirit in their conduct towards others. You wonder if God has really done a work because God's grace changes people. Let us now look at verse 15. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Now our natural tendency is to strike out against those who manifest an evil spirit against us, those who harm us in any way, whether it be physical or verbal. But the Word of God tells us that Christ is our example, who, when he was reviled, reviled not. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him, that's God, who judges righteously, First Peter 2, verses 22 and 23. And then he says this, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord in Romans. So if any of our brethren offends us in any way, we're to forgive them, as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven us. Remember this, all of their sins as well as ours have been washed away with the same precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The same blood that washed away our sins has washed away their sins. When Christ died on Calvary's cross, remember he died for all the elect of all the ages, whether we whether we get along with them all the time or whether we don't always get along with them. I'm still learning that. Is it so for you? And remember, the sword of God's divine justice was plunged into the heart of God's dear Son for all the sins of all his people. Oh, may God help us to remember that. May God help us to suppress our own sword of vengeance against one another because God's sword of vengeance has been put away against his people forever. And it is Jesus Christ who endured the wrath of God as the substitute for his people when he died for us. If the reprobate, those Jesus Christ didn't purchase with his own blood, offend us, then think of what their end is. They're going to suffer for all eternity in the lake of fire for their sins. And so we are not to render their evil for evil. We're to be like Stephen. We're to pray for God to forgive them. We're to pray that God would grant them repentance unto life for Christ's sake. Because we do not know who God's people are. We do not know who the lost sheep of God are. So we are to pray for our enemies and pray for those who despitefully use us. Praying that God may grant them repentance unto life. That God may regenerate them. That they may be born again of the Holy Spirit of God and granted faith to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. In unruly conduct and attitude are not to be permitted. They are not to continue without warning and exhortation to turn from that behavior. And we've seen that tonight in our text. We are to warn them who are unruly. Warn and seriously advise them that they're out of line in spirit and in deed. And we, as born-again, blood-washed believers, are to encourage the weak. We are to comfort those of a broken and afflicted spirit, those who have need of consolation and strength, not rebuke. We are to be patient with everyone, even the unruly, always keeping our temper in check 
remembering our own infirmities and remembering the afflictions which we go through. And when someone's going through afflictions, we are to be patient with them, even the people of the world. Always remember, it's only by God's grace that we walk in the light. It is only by God's grace that we differ from anyone in this world. And remember also that evil for evil is not the way of Christ. Getting even, retaliating, seeking vengeance is not for the believer. Rather, we are to endure injuries and misunderstandings with patience, showing kindness towards all and seeking the good of all, both in the church and out. Oh, may God give us grace and mercy and strength to do so. To God be the glory. Amen and amen.